We're continuing our uh, journey together through uh, the New Testament book of Romans. I remember Romans was written by the Apostle Paul, uh, one of Jesus' uh, authorized spokespersons to the church in Rome. Uh, Paul did not plant or, or establish this church, but he desired to visit there and to see them become a church planting church, that the good news of the gospel would go uh, to the ends of the earth. Is that he was hoping that they would help him on uh, in his desires to go to Spain uh, to communicate the good news of the gospel to those who had not yet heard. And so what he's trying to do is he's motivating this church. Uh, he's rooting them in the, in the realities of the gospel, uh, that righteousness comes through faith. Uh, that is, there's nothing that humans can do to make ourselves right with God. We must look and hope and trust in Christ and only Christ. Uh, we saw a couple of weeks ago uh, that what Paul was reminding all of us is that God relates to, his, to, to humanity and to all of His people through covenants. Uh, and covenants have representatives or mediators. And all of us, due to uh, Adam being that first covenant representative, we were in Adam. He was our representative. As it went for Adam, so it went for all that Adam represented. Adam sinned. Adam rebelled against God. And therefore, Adam was found guilty. We too uh, were, experienced consequences for being in him. The guilt of Adam is ours. The grime of Adam, that sinful defilement and condition that we're only able to do sin apart from, uh, from Christ while we're still in Adam. And also the grave, uh, guilt, grime, grave, uh, that we are going to experience death due to the penalty for our sin. But God in His mercy provided another representative, Jesus of Nazareth, who came. He lived perfectly on behalf of His people. Uh, he died the death His people deserved to die. And he rose that we might have a new life. And Paul's been telling us that in light of Jesus coming, this new representative, those who have faith and trust in Him have been delivered from that guilt. They have been delivered from the power, not just the penalty of sin, but its power. And we've been set free to be able to, to live for God. Paul's been reminding us of the freedom that we have uh, but there's another aspect of the way that, uh, that Paul has been talking. It's not just that we, we needed to be set free from being in Adam and we needed to be set free from sin's dominion. But Paul's also been talking about the need for us, to, for our relationship to the law to change. There's a connection between our relationship to the law and sin's dominion, its power over us. We saw this back in chapter 14 of, of, uh, of verse 14 of chapter 6. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. There's something, something about our relationship to the law that keeps us under the dominion of sin. And when that relationship changes, as it does in Christ, when we are brought out from under the law, the dominion of sin ends. This morning, Paul is going to come back and, and dig deeper into that, that idea and that concept that we would know that our relationship to the law has also changed in Jesus. What are the implications for that? What does it mean for us as the people of God? So look with me there in chapter 7. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6 this morning. If you're following along in one of your 
the black Bibles there in your seats. This is on page 943. So please uh, listen as we hear from the Word of God. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive, but if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Let's pray. God, we thank You that You continue to speak to Your people. We thank You that You are a God who is there, that You're not silent, that You reveal Yourself, and You speak to us through the Scriptures. We ask that You would do so this morning. Uh, there are things that are, that are hard to grasp and hard to understand, especially when we're uh, many times so distant from the original uh, context and, and worldview experience of the, the people that we're, uh, we're reading about. But we pray that you would help us to understand what it is that you're saying to us, your people, uh, that you would apply your word to us and that we would see and know who we are in Jesus and that our hope would be in him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, so the first thing that we'll see here is what Paul is trying to get at and point out to his people is uh, not just the need for our relationship for the law to, with the law to change, but the fact that our relationship to the law has indeed changed. Um, in order to, to kind of see what he's getting at and why this, there was the need for our relationship to the law to change, we already touched on it a little bit. Remember what he said up in verse 14. Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Why would Paul use that language that way? Why is the dominion of sin connected to our being under the law? There's something about this previous relationship to the law and the way that we related to it and how it operated in our lives, that as long as we were under the law, as long as we related to the law in that way, we continued to be under the dominion and power of sin. Now, a couple of things to, uh, to remember. Uh, we'll see this next week as well. Paul isn't saying that the law is bad. Uh, we'll, we'll see that uh, next week. He really wants to emphasize that point. But we want to step back and remember why God gave the law. Uh, and one of the reasons uh, that God gave the law was to expose to his people their need for a deliverer, their need for redemption, 
Uh, we've seen Paul tell us this before. Remember what he, what he has been telling us is about the good news of the gospel that righteousness comes through faith. That's righteousness that comes from God, not through us working out uh, and living rightly before God ourselves. And that righteousness was related to the law, right? Living rightly in conformity to God's character and who he was as revealed in the scriptures. The Jews misunderstood it. They thought, I can keep the law. I can live rightly before God and he will accept me. But that was never the point. There was never a way that humans could be made right with God through keeping the law. One of the reasons the law was given was to expose sin. We saw see Paul uh, communicating this to us. Look back over in Romans chapter 3 just to remind us of what he said so far about the law. In Romans chapter 3, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law is given, one reason the law was given, was so that we would know what sin is. To see and for it to expose sin in our lives and in our hearts. And in fact, that's what, uh, that's what, what happens. Uh, look over in, in chapter 5 and verse 20, what we saw uh, Paul communicate. Um, far from as the, in the, the Jews' misunderstanding of things, that they could approach the law and find it as a means of salvation. Notice what Paul says in chapter 5 verse 20. Now the law came in to increase trespass, and the result was that sin increased. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The law increased sin. Why? Remember what we saw, our rebellion against God's commands. When we are told not to do something, sin stirred up within us. We reject that law and that commandment. Who is God to tell us what to do? He's going to tell me not to do that? That's going to drive me even to do it because I don't trust Him. I trust in myself and in my own heart. And what is the result for that rejection, that rebellion? What is the, the, the curse and the penalty that the law brings? Well, we saw that back over in uh, chapter 4 and verse 15. For the law brings wrath. The law brings wrath. So recognize what Paul is saying so far. What the law does is it exposes our sin. It exposes how far short we have fallen of the good and righteous character of our God. The law condemns because as long as we, if we are rightly comparing ourselves to the law, we see a fallen short. And what is the penalty of the law? What is our just, con, our, our just penalty for, for failing to live up to it? It's, it's death. It's wrath. It's God's wrath poured out on us. And so here in this chapter, Paul is bringing that out and saying this relationship needs to change. And again, he points us, at, points us out, reminding us of this relationship we have to the law in chapter 5. While we were living in the flesh... That's Paul's relation, or that's language that he uses sometimes to describe what it was like to live under the dominion of sin or to live in Adam or to be one who is not redeemed and who has the Spirit working in us. 
So while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. You see, this old relationship to the law, when we were in Adam, was one that what the, the law did was it exposed our sin even more. It condemned us. It said, you deserve punishment. You deserve death. But the thing about the law is it could expose those sins. It could expose how far short we fell, but it had no power to deliver. It had no power to free us up. The law exposed, but the right response would have been to look to the one who could redeem and deliver, to call out to God for mercy, to trust in His provision for our rebellion against Him. Uh, In some ways, it would be to think about it like this. Um, You go to the doctor because you've been having some issues and struggles with your health, and they say, all right, we're going to have to do some testing to find out what's what's going on in your, in your body. And so they begin to do tests, and what the tests show is that uh, there's, uh, there's a disease at work in your body. And right now, they've just found it in one part of you. Uh, but they know enough about this disease to know that it will lead to your death. There is no cure. That test has exposed that uh, death sentence. But what can the test do? Nothing. The test can do nothing but expose that sickness. It can't deliver you. There is no cure. Your response might be, well, I'll just keep going up and taking the test over and over and over and over again. And then maybe that will deliver me. But no, the test can do nothing. It just exposes. It shows your need. It should lead you to be one who cries out in despair and says, there is nothing I can do. I need another to deliver me. You see, if we remain just in the law, and the only thing operating is the law that continues to expose sin, that continues to show us the righteous character of God and our failure to, to, to come Uh, to live up to that glory, then all we hear while we're under the law is condemnation. Death, exposing sin upon sin upon sin upon sin. And what is the wages of that sin? What fruit does it produce? It produces death. The only hope that we have is there's a way for that relationship to the law to change. That there's a way for us to relate to our God and to His law that doesn't result in our condemnation. That there's a way to result to relate to God's law that doesn't just continue to expose our sin and show us that we are hopeless. Is there possibility that that relationship can change? Is there a way for us as God's people to, uh, to not be under that condemning, guilty verdict from the law over and over again. This is important for us to know and recognize and understand, right? We were guilty in Adam. Guilty for his sin. Deserving of of God's just penalty and wrath for our own sin. But even those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, what about when we continue to sin? Jesus removed the penalty for sin for us when He died on the cross. 
His righteousness was credited to our account. But does the law still have that condemning power over us? Is our relationship to the law still the same? That as we continue to live in this relationship with God, that the law would continue to speak to us judgment, condemnation, wrath? Is there any hope for us? Paul says there is. Paul says there is. There is a way for your relationship to the law to change. To where you cannot relate to it in a way to where it is one that just condemns you and has no power to deliver you. How does that relationship change? Who can bring us into this new relationship? Well, Paul says that the way this relationship changes is through death. Through death. Remember, Paul's already pointed us out that death seems to be the path to deliverance in multiple times. The death of Christ. Remember how we were freed up from sin? Because we are united to Jesus. He's our representative. When Christ died, we died. He died to sin once for all. Therefore, we died to sin, delivering us not only from its penalty, but also from its power. We are now free to rebel against sin, you could say, and to live for Christ. But also, Paul is saying that death, death is also the key to our relationship to the law changing. Notice what he says here in verse 7. This is, again, he's beginning to explain to us why we aren't under the law anymore. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies... She is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And, she marries an, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Notice, Paul is pointing out two things. One, that it is, uh, with giving us this illustration, he's wanting to show us two things. One, that through death, we can, uh, our relationship to the law can change. We can be freed up from it. But also, through death, we are free to belong to another. So let's look at both of those. First, notice how death changes this relationship to the law. He gives this illustration of, uh, uh, of a, a husband and wife and trying to point out and remind the, the Roman listeners and the, the people of the Church of Rome that they know this concept. They know that there is a, that you can be freed up from the law through death. And he gives them this illustration or this example of uh, a married woman, that she's bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Death brings uh, her freedom from that law. From that word that without the death, if she were to go and be united to another man, what would that mean? Condemnation. Condemning her for being an adulteress. But here what Paul says is death changes her relationship to that law. It removes that condemnation over her. She is now freed up. Her relationship to that law has changed. And notice... Uh, that what she, what uh, Paul tells us has occurred in verse uh, verse four 
Likewise, my brothers, do you, uh, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. Paul is saying just as the death of the, the husband's death or death results in the woman's relationship to the law changing, you've died. When did you die? Well, you died when Christ died. When Christ died on the cross, not only did he satisfy your penalty for sin, but he broke your relationship to the law. You no longer relate to the law in this way. It cannot condemn you anymore. It does not sit over you and continue to keep you and hold you captive to sin. That's the language Paul uses later on. Look in verse, uh, verse 8. Now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. How did the law hold us captive? Well, notice, uh, all the law could do was continue to show you your sin, that you deserve death, that you deserve the penalty of God's uh, justice on you. It could not free you. The more you tried to use the law to free you up, the more you would be condemned under that power of sin and you could not be delivered. It's like that test, the medical test. You continue to go back to it hoping, oh, this time it'll free me up. But what do you have? You see, the more you go to the test, oh, it's moved into your leg. It's moved into your foot. It's moved into your lungs. It's moved into your brain. Each time you go to the test over and over, you remain captive to that disease. And that test continues to expose it because it cannot deliver you. In order for you to be delivered, you must, that relationship must change. And Paul says that happens through the death of Jesus. It's freed you up and the law can condemn you no more. But notice what it says uh, in, uh, in verse 3. or in ver- Yeah, the second half of verse 3. But if her husband dies, she is freed from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law Uh, through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another. Notice, Paul is saying that also what happens in this death is it frees you up. You no longer belong or are under the law, but you're freed up to belong to another. Remember, we've seen this before. What freedom looks like in the gospel and freedom looks like from the Scripture's perspective is you aren't just set free to be on your own. God did not release you and change this relationship of you to the law just for you to do whatever you want to do. But it moved you from being bound to the law to being bound to Christ, to being united to Him and in a relationship to Him, to belong to Christ as our King. Uh, Again, um, this changes our relationship to the law. Uh, we see that in, in a couple of ways. One, we, we see that by being united to Jesus, the, the penalty for, law, for the law has, uh, has been removed. But also think about the other ways that being united to Christ and dying to the law through Jesus' death on the cross, how it's changed stuff for us. Why did we not have a bloody sign this morning? Because Christ has fulfilled the law. Christ died on the cross. So as God's people, we are freed up from that old law that necessitated that shedding of blood. Why are we, have we, when we confessed our sin this morning, did no one bring a goat up here? 
Because the perfect lamb has been sacrificed. The death of Christ has freed us up from those laws. But also this morning, did any of you hear condemnation from the law? That you are going to die, those of you who are in Jesus. You are going to suffer God's penalty forever. That's what the law says to those who break it. But guess what? In Christ, your relationship to the law has been broken. That doesn't apply to you anymore because you died to the law, because Christ died for you. And what does the law have to speak to you now? Not condemnation, not punishment. You belong to another now who has freed you up. And your relationship to Him will not change. Why will it not change? Notice what Paul says. You... Uh, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. You see, now that you belong to Christ, your relationship to the law will always be in Jesus, the one who has fulfilled the law for you. The condemnation that the law brings and exposing our sin find its fulfillment in Christ and now our relationship to him has changed our relationship to the law. But what does that mean? Does that mean that, that we no longer have to obey the law? Uh, that the law has no place in the life of a believer? Uh, that we've been completely set free from the, uh, the moral commandments that are in the Ten Commandments that were inscribed on these tablets of stone and placed in the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant to remind the people of the character of God and what it looked like to live rightfully and faithfully before Him? No. Notice, again, what, what Paul says. The relationship to the law has changed, but it doesn't mean we have no relationship to the law at all. Look at what he says. That, so that you may belong to another, in verse 4, to Him who has been raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. This fruit that Paul is telling us about. What does it look like to bear fruit for God? We've been set free. We're united to Jesus so that we can bear fruit for God. The Old Testament helps us understand this. The very first Psalm. Listen to what it says as it describes bearing fruit for God. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of Yahweh. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but, like the cha- but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. The, the Old Testament saints those who rightly responded to the law, who realized their need for God to deliver them, God would begin to change and provide for them this relationship to the law to change to where they're delighting in the law. The law is a a, a way and a guide for them of how to produce fruit that glorifies God and blesses others around. But the true fulfillment of this that they experienced partially in the Old Testament comes to true fulfillment for us who are found in Jesus. Notice how Paul talks about that here. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released to the law, having died to that which held us captive, 
so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now that we have this new relationship to the law, we're found in Jesus. Notice the language that's being used there. The new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. How was the old way of the written code? God's old law was written on tablets of stone. But the promise given to the people in the Old Testament of this new covenant that God would provide is God would promise that He would write and inscribe His law on the hearts of His people. What God was promising was not completely to remove them and free them up from the law completely, but to reorient their hearts and their lives so that they would relate rightly to the law. Again, we looked at a couple of these passages last week. Just remember these promises given in, uh, in Jeremiah and in uh, Ezekiel. In Jeremiah 31, 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the old covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares Yahweh. So recognize the problem wasn't the covenant. The problem wasn't the law. The problem was the people's rebellious hearts and their rejection of it. But God's promising to do a new work in their lives so that they will follow and walk with Him. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. And no longer shall one teach his neighbor and his, each his brother saying, No Yahweh, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares Yahweh. And I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Well, what God is promising was a, a greater fulfillment and fullness of the experience of His work in their lives. Did God forgive sins in the past? Well, kind of. The blood of bulls and goats didn't remove their sin, but it looked forward to the day when sin would surely and truly and forever be forgiven in Jesus. And he's pointing that day, but he's also pointing to a day when God's people will rightly relate to his law, having experienced the fulfillment of the purpose that was given, to show them their sin and call them to hope in their God. And then they would live rightly with him. Notice how Ezekiel talks about this. Over in Ezekiel 36, uh, verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit that I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Notice, the law is still a part of God's relationship with His new covenant people. The law is still a part of the people's lives. But that relationship has changed. Before, the law was something when the people approached it, condemned them, had no power to deliver them. But now that God has sent the Deliverer, Jesus Christ the righteous, you can be set free. The cure has been found. No longer go back to that test thinking that it will deliver you. Instead, look to the one who can cure you. Think about that. If you have a disease and you know there's a cure and you can be completely made free of this disease, it changes your 
approach and your understanding of the test. If there is no cure, you might be like, man, I don't want to go to this test again. It's just going to tell me more how horrible and messed up my health is and how short my life is. But what if you know there's a cure? Each time you go to the test and it's saying, let's take the test and find out where else it is in your body. Why? So that we can get rid of it. Because everywhere the test exposes that there's sin or there's some way that your body's living abnormally, the cure will bring a solution to it. Now, what Paul is saying is now, the way that we approach the law is it's a good, a good guide for our life. It no longer condemns. It exposes to us the path of, of righteousness, the way to live before our God. And notice he's given us his spirit and his spirit is at work in us doing what? We're producing fruit. Jesus came. What the law couldn't do, Jesus could. This is for us as God's people. We need to hear and know this. The law has never been a path for you to live so that you could be made right with God through your good works. Righteousness has always come through faith. And the law was given for a purpose to expose you of your sin and your need for a deliverer that came from God. But once you call out to Christ in faith, once you are united to Jesus and His death is your death, that relationship to the law changes. And that is not your relationship to the law anymore. It doesn't expose your sin and condemn you. What does it do? It shows you the good paths that your God has for you. And God now has poured into your heart. He's given you His Spirit He's writing His law on your heart. So now you can approach God's law and see it. This is a guide for me to live good fruit for my God. It's not resulting in death anymore. Will I continue to battle and struggle with sin? Yes, we will. We're going to see Paul explain that to us in Romans 7. But because your relationship to the law has changed, guess what will result each time you see more sin in your life? It won't be condemnation. It'll be the goodness of your God using His law to show you the intentions and the path that He has for you, the resources that He's provided for you through Christ and through His Spirit poured out in your life, that now you can live in a way that results in glory and honor and for you to live as the human God has created you to be. Do not fear God's law. God's law is now your friend. It doesn't hold you captive because Jesus has come and He has set you free. You belong to Him. Not through what you've done, but through what He has done. So as God's people, may we embrace our belonging to Christ. May we embrace the freedom that is ours and in the power of the Spirit, walk in godliness and holiness consistent with God's law because Christ has set us free and condemnation is no longer ours in Him. Let's pray. God, we thank You for the good news that the Gospel brings. That the law no longer condemns. That although it exposes our sin, You have sent the cure. You have sent the One who will make us whole and who sets us free. As your people, may we rest and hope in you. May we cling and flee to Jesus. When our sin is exposed, 
May we hope and rest in what Christ has done. And would your spirit continue to work in us more and more, continuing to write your law on our hearts that we might live fruitful lives for you that bring glory and honor to our God through the work that Christ is doing in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.